Uh, I, like a lot of you, uh, had an opportunity to, to, to do some things I typically don't get to do. And one of those was, was to read something that was not theologically based. Uh, I, I love to read, as you know, and over the, the Christmas break and the New Year's break, I read a couple of novels by Claire Keegan, who is a young Irish woman who writes about uh, families and life in small Irish towns in the 1980s. Uh, one of these books was Small Things Like These. The other one was Foster. Uh, very well done books. Enjoyed it completely. But in reading them, I was reminded of how many people go through a child's life during that childhood and influence them. Uh, sometimes those influences are great, and sometimes those influences are not so great. But it, it, it was all a, a reminder of a very important truth, and it's one that we embrace here at Mac, and that truth is this. You never underestimate the influence of adult on a child. You never underestimate the influence of an adult on a child. I mean, think for a second. Think for a half second. Of all of the adult influences in your life who were not your parents. You had teachers and professors. Think about homeschool and Sunday school and public school. Uh, I remember very distinctly, in fact, a person that had a, a, a huge impact on me was a high school Sunday school teacher by the name of David Doss outside of the Washington, D.C. area where our family was living at the time. And, and David uh, was uh, the father of one of my friends that I was in high school with, and we gave him the name Clint because he looked like Clint Eastwood. And can you imagine the impact that it had on a 17-year-old boy to have Clint Eastwood teach him the Sermon on the Mount? You have coaches, you have mentors, you have the parents of your friends. There are preachers and youth ministers and, and shepherds and deacons. There are famous people that in an indirect way have bearing on your life. You have aunts and you have uncles and you have grandparents. You have the church family. And this is one of the reasons that we do this public recognition every year of the new babies who are born into our church family. And it's a reminder that most of us are going to contribute in one way or another to the raising of these children, mainly in the area of faith. And at the same time, as Richard said a little bit earlier, it's a way for us to say to these parents that we stand shoulder to shoulder with you, some of you first-time parents, because of a certain truth that we know to be true, especially those of us who are older, we stand shoulder to shoulder in the work of raising children and sometimes how difficult it is. I think that Sandra Stanley has said it best when she says that the days are long, but the years are short. The days are long, but the years are short. And if you're a parent or have been a parent, you're a grandparent, you know th those days are long, and it just takes a lot of energy out of you to be able to, to do what is necessary to raise up a child. And sometimes it can be absolutely terrifying. Uh, you, one, you know, I'm afraid of no man, I think. I'm, I'm afraid of my wife sometimes. But the most terrifying moment, one of the most terrifying moments in my life was the, the first night I was able to go home after my daughter Jessica was born. 
back in the day, um, you know, you had a really nice room for a baby to be born into. But you didn't, at, that, at least at that point, back in uh, the early 80s, you didn't have an opportunity to spend the night in the room with your wife. And so after th- everything had been said and done, Ellen, it had been a long, hard delivery. Uh, Ellen was finally able to get some sleep. Uh, Jessica was in the crib. Everything was calm, and it was time for me to go home. And, you, you know, it had been a long delivery. Uh, Ellen had just been this trooper. Uh, both of us had been, uh, you know, kind of sleep deprived. And I'm thinking that it's just as soon as I get home, I don't care about eating. So you know how tired I was, right? I, I don't care about eating. I don't care about taking a shower. I just want to get in bed. And that's what I did. I went and I just fell into that bed and I closed my eyes. And five seconds later, my eyes just got wide open again because I realized I was a dad. And I realized that I had a long way to go. I realized in that moment, it was one of the most terrifying moments in my life that I had been saddled with a responsibility that I was not up to. It dawned on me that there was more to parenting than merely becoming a parent. I had assumed the title dad, but there was a lot more to being a father. Ellen had taken on the title of mother, but there was a lot more to mothering than just becoming a parent. And that is especially true if you're a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, most parents want to raise their children to be this. They want their their kiddos to be responsible. And, and, And that's a great goal. That is a fantastic goal. The world needs more responsible human beings. People that are responsible in the way they think. Responsible with their thought life responsible with their words, responsible with their money, responsible in the way they go to work, with a work ethic, responsible in their neighborhood and with their colleagues and with their neighbors. I mean, you get the idea. Responsibility is a tremendous thing. But as a disciple of Jesus, when it comes to parenting, I would add this, not only responsible, but faithful. We not only want our children to grow up and to be responsible human beings, but we want them to recognize God as the creator and the father of all. That Jesus is our savior and God's spirit lives in each of us who come to him as his children. Now this is not just something that's new. It is as old as there's been a creation. And one of the earliest teachings in Israel was this little piece of passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that Hudson read just a couple of minutes ago and it's called the Shema which in Hebrew means hear this, or to hear, sort of in this imperative way. And at the heart of it is cultivating in the hearts of children this all-saturated love for God. Now, it's up here on the screen again, and I want all of us to read this with our outside voices together. Read it with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. And all the church said, You know, later on when Jesus is walking on planet earth, He's asked one day, you know, the Old Testament has a lot of commandments in it, right? And one day, this cat walks up to him and says, Would you please tell me what the most important thing 
for any human being to know what it all boils down to. Can you crystallize it for me? And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22, He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That is, with everything about you. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And then later on, when Paul is wandering around the Mediterranean seaboard and he's planting churches all over the known world, he, when he is discipling people and helping them to understand what life in the kingdom of God is supposed to look like, he gives them this brand new vision of parenting to these brand new disciples of Jesus. And in a place like Ephesians chapter 6, he gives instructions that sound like this. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your kids. Don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. As a father, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. You know, with God, through Moses, telling the people of Israel, as they're getting ready to go into the promised land, that when you're getting up and when you're lying down and when you're walking, whatever it is, when you're working and you have your children with, with you, Teach them to love God with all your whole heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then Jesus, later on, when asked, what is the most important thing in the Bible? He says, it is to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And when Paul is, is helping people to understand what it means to live in the kingdom of God, and not just to live in the kingdom of God as a disciple, but what it means to be a father or a mother to be a disciple, it is about training kids to understand what the kingdom of God is all about and how the kingdom of God is the greatest offer that a human being is ever going to receive for life and to teach them what it means to love God. In other words, from Genesis all the way to the maps in the Bible, children and the kingdom of God go together. Can we say this out loud? Children and the kingdom of God go together. Hey, let's say it one more time, but let's say it with some gusto. Children and the kingdom of God go together. And one of the best ways that you do that is in a life that demonstrates that God is one. To teach children to love God first, to put God first, to follow God first, to think about God first requires more than just words. Now, you have to use the words. You have to talk about your love for Jesus. You have to talk about the Spirit. You have to talk about God, what it means to be a part of God's family, the church, what it means to be a disciple. Don't get me wrong, words are super, super important. But along with those words has to be an authentic life. A life that shows that Christianity works. Not just that it keeps you out of trouble, but in giving your life to God, in giving your life first and foremost to God in all that you do, that there is a peace and a joy that comes into your life that cannot be explained, but they can see it in the way that you live as a disciple. And so I want to use the, the word first, as an acronym for the ways that this might become relevant in the way that you show the authentic faith in, before the eyes of your children. The F is going to stand for finances. F stands for finances. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9, Solomon says, you know, one of the wisest things that you can do with your wealth is this, is to honor the Lord with your wealth. It's understanding that your wealth comes from God. That God generated 
the, the means for you to be able to have this wealth and to possess it and to use it. So honor God with it. Show that you recognize that God is the one that gave it to you in the way that you use it that brings honor to His name with the first fruits of all of your crops. One of the clearest ways you demonstrate your priorities is in what you do with all of the things that God has blessed you with. And that's where it really begins. We recognize that what we have is not something that I generated. I had a part in it. But what I have is a gift from God. With your finances or whatever resources you have, we actually demonstrate whether we are more enamored with the blesser or if we're more enamored with the blessing. Paul is going to write to, to Timothy while he's in Ephesus these words in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He's going to say, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. I mean, the stock market is so uncertain these days, right? But to put their hope in God, not in the stock market, not in riches, which is uncertain. Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is, say it with me, truly life. Notice Paul's teaching. He says, don't let wealth make you arrogant. Demonstrate your hope in God and not in fickle economies. Recognize God richly provides everything. Do good deeds. Be generous. Uh, I know we don't have a, a lot of time this morning, but I, I have a friend who told me this story this, just this past week, this past Tuesday. He is a guy that always keeps a, a little bit of cash, paper money, uh, some smaller bills in his pocket because he's always like we all as we're going about our business here in San Antonio we're always going to run into somebody that needs a little bit of help and his children have seen him over the years you know whatever somebody you know wherever he found them somebody was in need he would always give them a dollar five dollars or something and this last uh, this last week week before last they're at a gas station he's filling up his vehicle with gasoline when somebody approaches him and before, you know, needing a little bit of help, and before he can reach into his pocket to pull out a, a couple of dollars to help this person out with, this cat's daughter jumps out of the vehicle, reaches into her purse, and grabs a couple of dollars and gives it to this person. And after they leave, she turns to her dad and says, I beat you, Dad. <laughs> How wonderful is that for your kids to be able to see that in your life? This, this generosity that comes, that this is not money that belongs to me. It belongs to God. I'm going to use it the way that God would use it. I, so F is finances. I stands for interests. You can always tell what a person's prior, what they prioritize with what they get excited about, what they laugh at, what they always talk about, what they're willing to make sacrifices for. And the question you ask yourself is, do my hobbies, do my interests, Take priority over worship and fellowship and prayer time and study time and ministry time. Remember what it is that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. All the other stuff will be added to you. But seek first His righteousness and His kingdom. R stands for relationships. 
what do the stories of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, the Golden Rule in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus talking to Zacchaeus, what do they all have in common? What do they have in common? What you believe about God and grace and the gospel affects how you're going to treat other people. It's going to affect the way that you treat other people who intersect your life on a daily basis. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Paul says to this church, he says, you know, as disciples of Jesus, we're living in community, relationships, Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. There's a certain way that you don't act in relationships. It's bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and malice. Get rid of the maliciousness. But be kind and compassionate to one another. Children need, in our world today, they need to see what kind folk look like, right? They need to see a little bit of compassion. Be kind and compassionate to one another. You know what else kids need to see today? That it's possible to forgive other people. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. You want to show your kiddos anybody's kiddos, that God's forgiveness is real, then let them see real forgiveness in you when it comes to other people. A life of bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and malice does not say, Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to me. But on the other hand, kindness and compassion, the ability and the desire, the ability and the desire to forgive everything says something unbelievable has happened to me. It has rooted itself all the way into my core and I will never get over it and I will change it for it and it has changed me forever and guess what it's called? It's called the gospel. So let, peop- let your kiddos see the gospel in all your relationships. S stands for schedule. Dallas Willard has said something that I have been trying to do for some time now. Uh, Willard said, he died back in 2007, 2008, and there, I have a book full of quotes, and a lot of them belong to him. And he said, here's, as a disciple of Jesus, you, you should do every day. He says, arrange your day, arrange your life, arrange your day in such a way to experience the deep contentment and joy and peace in God. Arrange your day in order to experience the joy and the peace and the deep commitment that's only found in God. You know what a schedule is? A schedule is nothing more than making room for priorities in your day-to-day. Is there a daily demonstration in your schedule for the priority of God in your life? In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this, Be very careful how you live. Be very careful, church. How you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Is that a surprise? Anybody surprised by that, that the days are evil? 
Be very careful then how you live. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And then we'll close with this. T is for trouble or troubles. You know, um, we, we can talk a lot about the veracity, the truthfulness of the Bible, of God's Word. We, we can make our arguments. But the bottom line is, until people are able to see the Word of God lived out faithfully, and with integrity, and with authenticity, it doesn't really get very far because our world is full of philosophies, but the gospel is an event that changes our lives. And that is no more true than when it comes to trouble and troubles that come to us in this life. Who do you turn to when a crisis comes? Who do you turn to when a crisis comes? I think we have all heard it said, well, I guess we've done all we can do. I guess we might as well pray. We might as well pray. We've done all we can do. We might as well, I guess all we can do is pray. Listen, friends, prayer is always the first option. And it's not the last resort. When, when we find ourselves in trouble... We, we always turn to the person that we feel is going to give us the best way out, the best, best hope, the best optimistic path forward, the best, the best solution, the best way to resolve the issue. And I'm telling you, as a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth for 61 years, that God is the first option at, for a journey into peace, into contentment, and out of trouble. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 Peter says, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. That doesn't mean you just sort of, you know, give it to Him. Casting means you throw it. Whatever it is that is burdening you and troubling you, you cast all of that on God. And the reason that you do that is because He cares for you. Now, there's a lot of things that I would like for you to consider in the MPG, the memorize and the pray and the glorify this week. But we're going to close right here by just giving you an opportunity to respond. If you've never become a disciple of Jesus, I'm telling you that it's the greatest offer that you will ever receive as a human being. The life is wonderful. The, the life, it's not an easy life, but it is a life of joy and a life of peace and a life of deep contentment in God. And if you would like to learn more about that life, we want you to come forward and to talk to me or to one of the shepherds down here at the front as we stand and we praise God together.